0: Alright, well this morning we're not going to look at just uh, one verse in particular, but we are going to think about um, a a sort of broader topic that is um, very relevant uh, for discussion today and one that is uh, constantly being discussed um, in our culture and one in particular that is misunderstood and misrepresented from the scriptures in all sorts of ways and so we're going to look at those ways and uh, seek to address them this morning. I have a lot to cover so we're going to probably move uh, quickly but I do want us to have some discussion on these things. So this morning uh, we're taking the broader topic and looking at several passages with regard to the Bible's teaching on homosexuality. And uh, we're going to put up a graphic here. I know you probably can't read all of that, but you've probably seen this before. Uh, if you have any, uh, anything to do with social media at all, this became kind of popular at the beginning of the year. And this was sort of uh, those who are... Um, very supportive of a homosexual agenda, put this together, and this was sort of their gotcha graphic to send around to all of their friends and say, you Bible people are so ignorant. Uh, So we're going to actually address each of the things it says on there. I'll tell you what they say, because I know you probably can't uh, read them specifically on there. Um, So... Uh, we'll go through each one of them. But the basic idea of it is that uh, you are supposed to look at this chart and say, uh, so you still think homosexuality is sinful, therefore gays shouldn't be allowed to marry. Obviously, you know where this came out in the whole debate about homosexual so-called marriage. So, If you say yes, uh, why, and then there are several answers as to why that would be, and they give a response to it. So we're going to look at all of those responses. So we assume the answer is yes, and we will talk about those responses. And the very first one is this, uh, because Jesus said so. Yes, I think it's sinful because Jesus said so. And their response is not true. Jesus never uttered a word about same-sex relationships. So that'll be our first. We're going to th- think about that for a second. Is that true? Let's, uh, let me just toss that out there. Is it true that Jesus never uttered a word about same-sex relationships? Okay, we can't know that. So um, All right, so maybe in some conversation that's not recorded in the Bible, uh, Jesus did. Directly in the word of God, it is true. Okay? Any other thoughts? Okay, good. If Jesus is God, and he is God, and the Bible talks about homosexuality, then indeed Jesus has spoken on this very issue, right? Uh, good. We're going to chat about that in just a minute. Tris? Tris? Yeah. Sure. Jesus is the Word himself, right? Good. Sam. He just, he just talked about marriage. Okay. He seems to set some parameters and so that so he may not talk about homosexuality. He doesn't talk about heterosexuality. hmm Good. So Jesus' uh, uh, mention of marriage several times, uh, he deals with marriage. Um, he, he goes into um, a positive, uh, p- portrays heterosexuality positively. Um, so that is certainly uh, pertinent to the discussion. Okay, so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about, and I'm telling you this word because it comes up a lot in the discussion, it's the Greek word pornea, pornea. And a lot of times you see that used for um, sexual morality um, you see it used for uh, sometimes, actually, in only one of the books, uh, dealing with adultery. Um, so it's kind, of a, it's kind of a catch-all phrase in a lot of ways for various kinds of sexual immorality. Uh, Jesus uses that word in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's referencing uh, Leviticus 18. And Leviticus 18 clearly identifies that homosexuality is sinful. And we're going to talk about Leviticus 18 and 20 a little bit later. Um, but just keep that in mind that Jesus makes reference to these very passages in Leviticus that are so often uh, kind of torn up and tossed out. Um, what's that? In the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, it's uh, dealing with when he talks about, um, uh, let me find Matthew. Matthew 5 and uh, this is uh, 27 and following where he's dealing with, um, you know, the lust of the eye and versus the heart and all these things that you should not look on a woman with lust in your, your heart um, or you've committed or with lust or you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, this, is, uh, this is where he's using this language. So, If this is not what Jesus is doing, if Jesus isn't making a passing reference to Leviticus 18 here, then we have a problem because Leviticus 18 is also dealing with things uh, and just forewarning, we'll uh, talk about things that aren't always comfortable um, today because the Bible does, Um, but it deals with things like bestiality and incest. Um, And so... What ends up happening a lot of times is people want to uh, sort of look at that ethic and say, well, that's okay, those things are wrong, we shouldn't uh, engage in those. Uh, But then when it comes to other things, they sort of want to uh, toss them out according to their own uh, principles. So, um, if our new Christian ethic is only if Jesus talks about it specifically, then homosexuality is the least of our problems, I would say. If our whole theology is based on, well, if Jesus said it, then that's what we're going to believe, but everything else we just sort of toss out. There is a movement today called Red Letter Christianity, and it's making reference to, uh, some of your Bibles probably have the words of Jesus in red. Um, just on, It's nothing wrong with it on principle. I don't like it because what it does is it says these words are more important than the rest of the Bible, uh, but they're not. They're not. The words of Jesus are... Um, are a part of Scripture, just like all the rest of Scripture. Um, and so there, there seems to be, among many, this idea that only if Jesus talked about it specifically uh, that it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, but he, he really did address it. He did address it. So we have a passing reference here in the Sermon on the Mount, um, but he also addresses all forms of sexual immorality and fornication and uh, the, the, proper, um, the proper structure and function of marriage as well. Um, but we cannot, uh, as David was saying earlier, we cannot let people divorce Jesus from the rest of the Bible. Um, oftentimes our temptation is when someone says, well, Jesus never said that that we just sort of kind of step back and scratch our heads and say, oh, you're right. Instead of saying, no, Jesus is a member of the Godhead. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and he existed eternally in perfect union with the Father and with the Spirit. Which means when fire and brimstone fell on Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality he was not absent he was not in disagreement with what was happening he is a member of the Godhead he was there he was a part of it he was functioning in the midst of it Um, and I think a lot of times we uh, we fail to think about that when people bring it up well Jesus never said that well actually Jesus did because Jesus is God, and all of Scripture is God-breathed. Um, so we can't take Jesus out of uh, the Godhead. Uh, one pastor said, the God of the left side of the book, uh, you can't divorce him from the God of the left side of the book because he is the God of the left side of the book. Um, he is the God of the Old Testament just as much as he is of the New. Um, and Jesus really even raises the stakes on sexual morality, doesn't he? He says, um, you have heard it said you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at someone with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. So not only does Jesus deal with this, he deals with it at, a, at an even higher level. Uh, he deals with uh, the fullness of the morality of the heart and not just the physical action. So we worship the one who is and always has been God and who is Jesus Christ. And that's a very important thing for us to remember. So we can uh, address that um, objection very very easily, I think, because Jesus said so. Is that a good enough answer for us to submit to something that the, the word says because Jesus said so? Well, absolutely it is. Don't be ashamed to say that. Why do you believe that? Why do you hold to that? Because Jesus said so. That's okay. That's an okay thing to say because it's right and true. All right, so the second one on here. Well, because the Old Testament said so. And the response on this chart is the Old Testament also says it's sinful to eat shellfish, to wear clothing woven with different fabrics. And to eat pork. Uh, This one is really, really popular. You've probably heard this one before. Um, So let's look at uh, the text specifically. Go to Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18, and there's sort of a section that kind of deals with sexual ethic, um, beginning in verse 19. So we'll read 19 through 23. Someone please read that for us. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness, while she is in her menstrual cleanliness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, so make yourself a woman with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them and so proclaim the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. You shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall I. My woman give herself to an animal to lie with it, it is a perversion. Great, thank you. All right, now let's look, uh, while we're there, turn over to chapter 20 as well. And uh, there's a lengthier section here. We're not going to read all of it, but uh, the the various uh, forms of sexual immorality that are dealt with beginning in verse 10, but specifically in verse 13, it says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Okay, so the most favorite approach Uh, to opponents of biblical Christianity is to write these passages off as just being irrelevant in whole. Um, But the thing is, they can't deny it is true, uh, being what the passages say, so Uh, In other words, they can't, like, come up with some alternative interpretation of it. It's pretty clear. And most uh, serious, even those who claim to be scholars, have dealt with this and have said, yeah, we we really can't write it off as meaning anything other than what it says. So they'll say either it just applied to the Jews or what we see here in this chart. Uh, Well, what about all of this other stuff? Uh, What about God saying you can't eat shellfish or wear clothing made of mixed fabrics? Well, good question. What about all that other stuff? Uh, The argument is essentially, if you do not obey all of Leviticus, then you cannot condemn me for avoiding 1822 and 2013. Um, The question then is, at at this juncture, who are we allowing to be the judge if we let their argument stand? them we have all of a sudden allowed them to be the judge and the determiner of what we do and don't apply in scripture Uh, my guess is that whoever's saying that has no idea how to look at biblical law and its purposes and its application in the days that it was applied fully to the israelites and how we look at it today as christians this is why we've spent a lot of time over the years dealing with the law and how we understand it and what its usefulness is uh, because these sorts of things come up. And if you're not, if you're not skilled in understanding the law and, and how we make divisions of the law, um, then in this kind of discussion, you are going to be very confused and uh, we can leave others in confusion. So in their judgment over God's word, They are adept at uh, claiming what is obligatory, when it is relevant, uh, when it should be applicable. Uh, Since they've confined the entire book of Leviticus to an irrelevant, non-binding status, it can be disregarded in the present day in their minds. Um, So what do they do? They want to refer very quickly to the dietary laws of Leviticus and say, well, you don't keep those. Um, Those aren't practiced by Christians today, so obviously you don't even believe. You're just picking and choosing what you want. Um, But I want to say that because we don't follow dietary laws does not justify disregarding God's word with regard to homosexuality in Leviticus specifically. We have to ask, why do we not observe dietary laws? That's the question. Why do Christians not observe the dietary laws of Leviticus? That's very simple, because God himself in Jesus Christ, in his own word, has repealed the dietary laws. And we know this from God's word. It's not our own preferences. It's God himself speaking in the scriptures. The restrictions on eating shellfish, rock badger, uh, pork, thank God. uh, He has uh, rejected all of this and said it is no longer binding because Jesus has removed it. All of these restrictions are gone. And Jeff killed a pig this week. And so I know he's very excited uh, that this is no longer a binding uh, law on us. Where is that? Where is that? Mark seven nineteen, Jesus declares all food clean. And again, in Acts, when uh, Peter has a vision and the sheep falls down and all of the animals come rushing toward him, uh, I think it's probably that herd of pigs Jesus cast into the, uh, the sea. It's now coming back to him. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> Mm mm-hmm yeah so I would love to go into that right now that is a very that's a whole like series of Sunday school classes on itself on the division of the law between civil moral ceremonial Um, but that is very pertinent to this conversation absolutely Um, but on a very simple level so dietary things when they say well it says you can't eat shellfish well Jesus said that I could and that was particular to the Jews why was that particular to the Jews what was going on why did Jesus uh, excuse me why did um, why why are these part of the Mosaic law or the Levitical law for the Jews all of these various things what was the point To separate them, to show that they are a distinct people, right? Um, They were for the covenant people of God. um, And notice that God doesn't judge other nations for the same things. If the other nations were eating uh, bacon, which they surely were, um, he wasn't judging them for that. Why? Because they weren't given that law as a people to follow uh, because he was giving that law to his people to distinguish them from all of the other nations. No place in the Bible do we read God judging surrounding nations for their, observant, their failure to observe dietary regulations. Um, but it's no longer required because the new, new Covenant distinction between Jew and Gentile is abolished completely. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We are one people of God now. We've been grafted into that tree of faith, and Jesus has abolished that restriction. So where in the Bible then is the question, has God abolished the prohibition against homosexuality? Nowhere. God has not abolished the prohibition against homosexuality. So really at this point, we've turned their argument on its head, haven't we? We've said, no, we we reject these things because God rejects them now, but we uphold these things because God upholds them. We cannot allow one's sexual preference to interpret the Bible. The Bible must interpret the Bible. The pivotal concern is the authority of God's Word. And let me say this. There is legitimacy to the fact that people do struggle with have issues with same-sex attraction. We're we're not arguing the legitimacy of that. And in fact, a lot of Christians get entangled in this argument about, well, uh, a lot will say, well, I was born that way. And I would say it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Uh, Most men were born with a desire uh, to uh, commit sexual immorality with every attractive woman they see. Yeah, and murdering my neighbor when they make me angry. Um, these are our natural inclinations. And so the fact that someone is born with a natural desire uh, for the same sex is irrelevant. It's still, it's, we still look at it and say, well, this is sinful. My children have a natural desire to lie to me when they uh, want something and they try to cover it up. Or they have a natural desire to throw a tantrum when I say no. I don't condone it. I don't say it's okay because, well, you were just born that way. Uh, that is, not, that is a, a completely illegitimate argument. It doesn't work. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't um, show great compassion for those who, have, uh, uh, who truly struggle with this idea of same-sex attraction. Um, there, in the last couple of years, there have been some very good books written on this. Uh, there's one man who is a Presbyterian pastor. Um, I think he's in Scotland or in England, Um, but he uh, very early on coming into the church, he admitted to his elders, this is something I've struggled with my whole life. And so he's written a book about this and said, um, it's a specific sin struggle that I have in my life. I've dealt with it Um, throughout all of this. um, I... And they've all determined he's not disqualified from ministry in any way because he's not uh, engaging in any sin. There's a difference between temptation and sin. We have to keep that clear in our minds. When the Bible's talking about homosexuality, it's talking about the acts of homosexuality, the actual uh, physical engagement of homosexual act. Um, It's talking about engaging in homosexual relationship. So no more is someone who struggles with same-sex attraction in any kind of a different sort of sin than someone who uh, continually fights other forms of temptation. Uh, Heterosexuals fight the temptation of lust and all these sorts of things. So those are important things to keep in mind uh, through the discussion. Now, in terms of law, we've dealt with dietary restrictions. We've said that God has not abolished any prohibitions against homosexuality. As for some of the other laws, they pertain specifically to the priesthood. And this is what Josh was referencing a bit earlier. We we would recognize there are certain laws that were ceremonial in their usage. They pertain specifically to the Levitical priesthood. Um, and there's, a, there's specificity with regard to the purity and the worship of God's people. And so there were very specific things that had to be brought up. Um, uh, for example, uh, someone could not serve in the Levitical priesthood if they had some form of physical deformity. Just the same way, a sacrifice couldn't be made unless it was pure and spotless and unblemished. Um, the question then is do we still have the Levitical or the Aaronic priesthood? Does that exist today? No. Why? Why do these priesthoods not exist? Okay, because Jesus is uh, the priest, Jesus is uh, the one that all of these things were pointing to. The Levitical priesthood was a type of Christ to come. It was something that was sort of a, a signpost pointing to Jesus. Um, so the laws relating to the priesthood don't apply anymore because God has rendered the priesthood inoperable. Okay? Uh, this is very different than a person just throwing out the entirety of Leviticus because they don't see its relevance. But notice in that section we read in Leviticus 18, it also forbids adultery. You don't see them raising a big stink about that. Uh, in chapter 19 and verse 4, it forbids idolatry. We're not saying that's gone. Um, we're still required to love one another. Leviticus 19, 9 through 18 is about us loving each other. No one's raising a big stink about that. Uh, Jesus, in fact, quotes uh, chapter 19 and verse 18 in Matthew. He said, and, and so uh, when we ask the question here, um, you know, they want to say, well, uh, Jesus never said anything. Well, what would Jesus do? Well, he would quote Leviticus when asked about homosexuality because he quotes it in other ways. He quotes it with regard to loving our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, that is not something that Jesus just kind of thought up on his own, it's from the scriptures. Um, So if God has not strictly repealed his law, it still stands. And that's a really important thing in a lot of various aspects. But uh, we believe that very, very strongly. If God has not said this law no longer stands, then it still stands. Otherwise, we become kind of the arbitrary, you know, we're just going to base it on our own desires, Well, I don't really like that, so I don't want to do that, and therefore I'm not going to. Well, we don't have that option. The Lord doesn't leave that to us. Um, And this really is a problem for proponents of homosexual relationships because they have to deal with things, as we mentioned before, like bestiality and pedophilia. Nowhere outside of Leviticus are these things mentioned in the negative. But you'll be hard-pressed to find someone who would say that bestiality and pedophilia are okay. Now, I will admit there is a group today who is are strong proponents of pedophilia. There's a group called NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, and they have a very strong lobby in Washington, and they're seeking to lower the age of consent to 12 years old um, because they believe that men and young boys should have freedom to engage in sexual relationships with one another. Um, So we see the depravity of man in these things. But for the most part, when you're dealing with those who are going to oppose your biblical ethic, they're going to not have a problem with um, restrictions on bestiality and pedophilia. Uh, But this is the only place they're addressed. So what are they going to do with that? Um, They can't have their cake and eat it too. We can't throw out some and keep others based on our own standards. Again, Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture not our sexual preference. So the moral law, which applies to all men everywhere at all times, versus the ceremonial law is really what's at, at, um, at uh, issue here. The ceremonial law separated Israel from other nations, and that includes things like clothing and food and seeds and cattle and the trimming of their hair and beards. Um, Israel was a distinct nation. Um, notice the Assyrians were never condemned for missing Passover. Never happened. Passover was only for those marked by circumcision. It was for the Jews. And so um, we have to understand these distinctions of law unless we get kind of tangled up in these uh, disputes that really um, can easily be dealt with. Any Before I press to the next one, any comments or questions on that one? Steve? You mentioned Mark Mm-hmm. Pornea, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, pornea is sort of this catch-all, and we're, we'll deal with that again here in a minute that uh, people want to try and redefine that, but it's, it's got a very wide usage. Any other questions? All right, the next uh, thing here, the third one over, because the New Testament says so, and their response The original language of the New Testament actually refers to male prostitution, molestation, promiscuity, not committed same-sex relationships. Paul may have spoken against homosexuality, but he also said that women should be silent and never assume authority over a man. Shall modern-day churches live by all of Paul's values? That's what it says. Um, So the answer is yes. Um, shall modern day churches live by all of paul 's values yes rightly understood that's that's the response rightly understood but let's let 's consider some so go to Romans chapter one Romans one someone read verses twenty six and twenty seven Great, thank you. Um, So let me ask this. Why why does Paul say in Romans 1, the gospel is so vital? He's kind of laying this out for the rest of what he writes. But he's really presenting an argument for why the gospel, which he's going to present later in chapter 3, is so vital. Why is that? Okay, good. Uh, I would sum it up with verse 18 of chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Without the gospel, that is our condition. We're constantly suppressing the truth, and we are heaping condemnation on ourselves, and we exist and continue to exist under the wrath of God. And so from there, Paul starts to unfold, unravel what that looks like for every man, woman, and child. We worship the creature rather than the creator. Uh, our God is our bellies. And we get to a place where our, our desires are so unnatural that they, uh, they turn into, um, as he says, he gives up the lust, them to the lust of their hearts, dishonoring of their bodies. Um, And that's in verses 24 and 25, um, dishonorable passions, women with other women, men with other men, committing shameless acts and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. So we see all of this discussion ramping up to this very uh, clear um, example that Paul gives. In other words, he's saying when man is left to himself, he goes in all sorts of directions opposed to God's law. And let me give you a few examples of what those are. And he lays those out. And this is one very specific that he gives. So Paul is speaking here of men with men and women with women. There is no mention of men with boys. There is no mention of men with prostitutes. There is no mention of sexual promiscuity. There is no mention of these things at all. What is very clearly mentioned in verses 26 and 27 is women exchanging Uh, natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, men giving up natural relations with women, consumed with passions for one another, okay? So the indication is very clear. It could not possibly mean what they're saying here. Well, the New Testament refers to male prostitution or molestation or promiscuity, not committed same-sex relationships. Well, it seems very clear that when it says men gave up natural relations with women, And we're consumed by passions for one another that he very clearly is saying that this is a homosexual act that he's condemning. Um, Another place, let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. We're out of time here. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11 He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, um, So right in this list of things that Paul is mentioning, he deals with those who practice homosexuality. Now let me ask you this, where does Paul get this list of sins that he lays out here? Where does that come from? Leviticus 18, 19, and 20, exactly. Uh, Paul is f- simply referencing the scriptures that we've, uh, we've looked at already. Um, this is the Levitical Holiness Code, and he uses it to develop his list. Now, something he does here, though, which is very important for us to remember, and I'll end here, and I guess we'll pick up on this one again next week so we can finish. I think it's very important for us to think through all of these. Verse 11, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And this is what I want us to remember as we talk about this issue. Those who are um, dealing with same-sex attraction, who are locked into homosexuality, who practice these things, they are not without hope. He deals with those. He said, there are those among you who have in the past practiced homosexuality. Such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were this kind of person. But Christ saved you. He redeemed you. He made you new. This really brings to light what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And that's the whole of us is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Uh, I think we have a tendency, because homosexuals have uh, worked so hard to identify themselves, not as human beings, but as homosexuals, that we have sort of adopted that into our minds to say that this is who this person is and what they are made up of, and this is uh, how we view them. As opposed to saying this is a human being who has an issue of sin that um, they are engaging in, and yet the gospel will set them free from this, will redeem them, and give them new hearts and new affections and new desires. Is it possible for a homosexuality to be rescued from their practice? Absolutely. We see right here in 1 Corinthians um, 6 that he's addressing that, and um, there are many today who give testimony to that, that they were engaged in those things and yet have um, been set free from them. Well, I want to stop there. We're out of time today, but we will pick up on this same thing uh, next week. I think it's important enough for us to continue. Any closing uh, thoughts? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time. Uh, We thank you, God, for the clarity of your word. Uh, Sometimes we struggle to put all of the pieces together, uh, but Lord, you truly have not left us without answer. Lord, there are many who uh, want to oppose your word because they hate you. There are others who simply don't understand your word and how to look at it. Whatever the case may be, Lord, on this very important subject, we want to be clear. We want to be clear as a people who want to uphold your word no matter what. Lord, we recognize that in the face of uh, many uh, cultural shifts, um, that this has become uh, the uh, really the primary issue of our day that we are having to deal with. In various uh, sorts and forms. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word, to understand how to talk about these things in your word, and how to apply them rightly with love, with compassion, with grace. And we pray ultimately, Lord, that we would be able to communicate uh, the great hope that is found in Christ alone. Uh, Lord, our greatest need is not to be s- set free from. Um, desires uh, for the same sex or from lust or sexual morality, our greatest need is to be found in Christ Jesus that on the day of judgment we would, um, we would be welcomed into the kingdom. And so we pray, Lord, that um, you, would, you would help us to um, prioritize this rightly along with, uh, with all of sin that will be judged in its unrighteousness. Um, But, Lord, that we would be a very clear voice of truth, even in the midst of uh, the world around us, uh, being opposed to what we have to say. Lord, prepare our hearts now as we gather for worship, that it would be uh, joyful and fruitful, and that our hearts would be full of gladness in Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.